Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Fallon. Thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the online accounting software that puts you in control of your freelancer finances. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for web developer Jason Resnick. I was doing it on the side, waking up, going to work at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, coming home at 5, having dinner, starting up again at 6, and working till 3.30 in the morning. So it was getting to a point where I was just like, okay, I need sleep. The eye-opening part for me to really figure out how I could run the business that I want to run, but be able to have predictable income, do the sales, do the marketing, do the administrative work, essentially all by myself. It went from doing everything for everyone, now I just do something for someone. That for me has been huge for the business. I said to my wife, I turned and I said, so I've reached my goal, what's next? Yes, so there is Jason from New York. His story coming up in a moment. There is over 150 now episodes of this. That's 150 stories for you to delve into, to learn from at beingfreelance.com or wherever you get your episodes of your podcast, wherever you, you know, whatever app it might be. Make sure you've hit subscribe so you don't miss the next 50 that might come towards 200. That seems a long way off, whenever that might be. Well, actually, probably a year from now if it's one a week. (laughs) Probably the easiest maths I have to do. So, yes, beingfreelance.com. Also there you'll find articles and the videos. My vlog, if you've not seen it before, basically this podcast is me chatting to other freelancers about their story and, you know, like looking at their past and where they're going. But the vlog is actually me living my freelance story as it unfurls. So each day of each week, I film what I'm up to. I chat to the camera. We see what we're doing. And I talk through, you know, the good bits, the bad bits. and trying to figure it all out. Thank you so much for all of the comments. If if you've not seen it before, please go to YouTube. or There's a link at beingfreelance.com. And yeah, give it a watch. And if you like it, please consider hitting subscribe, leave a comment, and definitely turn on notifications. Somebody said to me, how do I find out if there's an episode? That's a silly thing about YouTube. Not only do you have to subscribe, you have to turn that little bell on and then that lets you know. But basically, I do a new one each week. It's usually on a Wednesday. So, yeah, go to beingfreelance.com. Details of everything we're up to, links through to Twitter and Instagram and all of that as well. It's always nice to hear from you. So, yeah, please don't hesitate to get in touch right now, though. Let's get on with it, shall we? And go to the States and freelance web developer Jason Resnick. Hey, Jason. Hey, how's it going, Steve? I am good. Thanks so much for doing this. As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Sure. Well, I got started quite early on, I guess. I mean, showing my age a little bit, but in the mid to late 90s, where the web was such a new thing, it was kind of like having a pool in your backyard, right? Like businesses wanted this dot-com thing, and I had a skill set that people wanted. And I always knew at an early age where I knew that I wasn't really, I don't want to say fit, but I knew I didn't want to sit at somebody else's desk. And I knew at some point in time, I wanted to break out on my own and run my own thing. And freelancing at that point in time seemed like a viable way to do that. So I just 
had local businesses saying, Hey, I hear you do websites. And at that time it was like front page and Dreamweaver and all these old tools that nobody uses or even hears about these days. And, uh, that's how I got started. So were you doing something before that, or was that like a fresh out of college type? Well, that was fresh out of college. I kind of fell backwards into the web because I went to an engineering school. But I went in for computer science, but I always liked engineering, mechanical engineering. And I guess halfway through, I realized computer science wasn't my thing. I enjoyed programming and all that, but it was, I don't know, there was just something that wasn't clicking in my head. And then when the web came, and I'm not suggesting anybody do this at all. If you're going to school, go to class. But I was cutting my economics class and going up to the computer lab. And just waiting for my next class. Because, I mean, mind you, my economics class was a long-distance learning class. So it was the most boring two-hour TV show you could ever imagine. So what happened was I went up to the computer lab and I was just messing around one day. And my high school friend emailed me and said, hey, check out this website that I made. And I looked at it. I was like, okay, it's you know got animated GIFs and a clock and like you know just a mishmash of random things posted on the web. But I thought it was cool. I was like, hey, how'd you do that? And he wound up teaching me HTML through email during my economics class that semester. And I was like, this is awesome. I put code on the screen. I hit a button and refresh, and it works. So that's when I fell in love with web development and. Uh, I just was started, you know, I, I, it's funny because hearing your episode and I knew that this question was coming, I was trying to think back at very, very, very first project that I ever did online. And I want to say that it was actually a local restaurant and they really just wanted to put their menu online. That was it. Nothing else, no pictures, no nothing. And from there, it just stemmed because it was just a word of mouth kind of thing. Like, hey, Jason did this and made that. And, you know, that's kind of how it all started. And I did that alongside my full time job out of college. And uh, it got to a tipping point where I said, hey, I think it's time to uh, try this out. That's so cool. So, so you weren't like knocking on doors or, you know, to find the work or placing an ad or, or whatever. Like, word of mouth was enough. Yeah. As I said, I was working full time. So, yeah, I wasn't available during business hours. Also, my full time job was in web development. So, I was kind of learning on the job, so to speak, at least the skill sets, applying them at nighttime. I was answering ads in Craigslist at the time. But, yeah, for the most part, it was just word of mouth. It still is to this day, to be honest with you. I mean, it must have evolved a lot. So we're talking about sort of like 97, 98, something like that, are we? Yeah, about 98 to 2000, 2001. Yeah, so so how did it change? Like, So there's that tipping point where you think, right, okay, I'm going to do this. But then suddenly it's real. Like, then suddenly you do need all that money because that's your sole income. Yeah, I mean, there was one tipping point where the company that I was working for in 2002 they essentially busted. It was a large firm that put all their eggs in, you know, dot com explosion market. And uh, I was working for them for about two and a half years. I saw the company go from about 600 people to 2,500 people. And by the time it was my turn, it was like 400 people left in the company. And I was like, hey, I got the skill set. I've been doing freelancing on the side. Let me, uh, this is it. 
right? This is my opportunity. And, you know, I was in my early 20s, so, you know, no responsibility, no family, no mortgage. And I was just like, hey, let me give this a go. And I found that the skill set wasn't the problem, but like, as you said, I needed to get the money. I needed to do the sales, the marketing, all the businessy type things, which was a shock for me. I had no idea how to do any of that stuff, at least not in a professional way, right? I mean, I saw how other people were doing it, but you know, I wasn't trained in that sort of thing. And uh, it was about two years into that, I wound up saying, okay, I need to pay rent. I need food, right? <laughs> so I had to go get another job, but I went back with the idea that I'm here to learn all those businessy type things. That was really the eye-opening part for me to really figure out how I could run the business that I want to run, but be able to have predictable income, do the sales, do the marketing, do the administrative work, essentially all by myself. So you went freelance, but then you went back in house in order to learn how to be more sufficient <laughs> Yes, <laughs> from a business point of view when, when you went freelance again. What were the main things that you think you picked up that made a difference? Oh, a lot in sales. As someone who has introverted tendencies, I'm not going to knock on doors. I'm not going to pick up a phone and randomly call numbers. You know, it's not going to happen. But I wanted to try to figure out like, okay, this is the sales process. You get a lead in, you have X number of calls or X number of emails, those kind of things. And then you go to a contract and then you sign the contract and then you onboard them. I mean, this is an evolving thing over a number of years that I've not just learned and saw how other people were doing it, but how that would work for me and how it felt natural for me. And that took a long time. I went in there with the idea of talking with sales and marketing teams, maybe befriending people and asking a lot of questions in and around that stuff and trying to figure out essentially like, how can I use this for myself? But learning also a lot about profits and revenue and budgets and things like that, that I wanted to know because I wanted to be sustainable. I didn't want to face that same dilemma again, where like, Hey, I need to eat and I need to pay rent. And so that was, it was an education over, I'd say about a good four and a half year period before I decided to go uh, out on my own. And this time it was essentially my own terms. Yeah. So second time around, what year was that? 2000, <laughs> I'm doing the math now. 2010. So, so it's 2010 and you're like, right, this time I'm doing it on my own terms. How did you go out and get those clients? Was there something that you were doing in advance? In part, yes. As I said, I was doing it on the side along, you know, the whole time. And I was basically waking up, going to work at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, coming home at 5, having dinner, then starting up again at 6 and working till 3, 3.30 in the morning. So it was getting to a point where I was just like, okay, I need sleep. Like, <laughs> a, you know, I'm really am tired and I can't keep doing this and burning the candle at both ends. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to go out and uh, give myself a birthday gift and, you know, I'm going to quit by that day. And I was getting clients, not just through word of mouth, because I was actually building in my own word of mouth referral email systems, you know, basically just reaching out to past clients and leads and things like that. But also I was, I'm a developer. So I had built in 
systems into my business that would essentially alert me when there were opportunities online that would come up, but I didn't necessarily have to be there. So things like on Twitter or you know, uh, even in Craigslist or things like that where certain keywords would be posted in an ad, I would get an alert about it. And that time it was my phone. I still use that same system, but I tried to figure out a way to, as I said earlier, learn sales the proper way, but try to make it my own. And again, I'm not going to go knock on doors. It's not my style. It's not my thing. So sales for me, it now essentially is a part of that sales system, right? That automated system that does searches along the internet for certain things, but it's also building relationships and networking and especially with vendors of platforms and tools that I use and their support teams. These are things that I use for my clients all day long and every day things are bound to happen and I'll reach out to support. And as a byproduct of that, that wasn't planned, but when their customers reach out to them with customizations and things, they're not going to do that. But if I'm on their that person's radar through support and they know that, you know, hey, Jason keeps popping up everywhere and he's asking intelligent questions and he's doing some things, maybe he can help this customer. And that's a good lead generation avenue for me as well. Yeah. So did your services start to change? Yeah. I mean, my, my services have evolved greatly, especially over the past eight years. You know, at first I was very much a generalist web developer. I was doing PHP work, Ruby on Rails work, even some Java development. Now where I help establish online businesses, essentially increase sales through shorter first-time purchase journeys, as well as repeat buyer journeys. So for me, it went from doing everything for everyone. Now I just do something for someone. That for me has been huge for the business because I always felt like I was chasing my tail being a generalist because depending on the project I was on, I was bouncing back and forth a lot, like especially a lot with code, like, oh, okay, well, I haven't done any PHP for six months. So what did I miss? You know, so now that I'm focused in on a very specific type of client, which is a lot of membership sites, uh, nonprofits, e-commerce websites. I'm all day, every day, those kind of clients and those types of tools. So become sort of the expert there. And so obviously there was that point, that transition point where you you were getting just a few hours sleep. Did you manage to sort of realign the work-life balance when you were finally just being freelance or actually did you find yourself still working all the time? It took a little while to do that. My wife still tells me that I never shut off. Even, you know, <laughs> she's like, your brain is just always going. Yeah. I mean, for me, the work-life balance thing, I don't know if there's so much a work-life balance as much as it's just a mesh when you're freelance. I mean, for me, I wanted to be home to see first steps, hear first words, be there for the family, have the time freedom to be flexible enough to do things. You know, I didn't want to miss events at school or any of that kind of stuff. So I wanted to be there for my family and just and be able to take a random Tuesday afternoon off because it's a nice day out. So it was funny when we were coming home from the hospital with TJ in the car and I was driving home and I said to my wife, I turned and I said, so I've reached my goal. What's next? And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, I'm home and 
we're here. It's our first child and I'm going to be able to see these things. So that was my life's goal. <laughs> so what's next? And she's like, uh, I don't know, make more money. <laughs> <laughs> but for the reality of that was, was yes, I've seen the first steps. I hear the first words and that for me, that's, that's what's important. And I shape all the other things around that. Ah, so what does your work day look like? Like, do you work from home? Yes. So what's work like working from home? Yeah. I mean, luckily my wife is home, so she's the primary caretaker and she kind of wrangles TJ up. I'm in a sunroom and, you know, I, I wake up early. I try to get up, you know, five thirty, six o'clock before they get up at all. So I know I can get a good solid couple of hours of silence in. I'm very rigid about planning out my days like Sunday morning, which is something that I've been doing for years. So I plan out the week. And so my wife knows when there's calls or podcast recordings or things like that. And, you know, especially events around things like we take TJ to what's called the little gym. It's just basically a padded room and they let these kids run wild. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I know what the, the week looks like and you know, my energy levels and focus is usually more towards the morning. So I try to get all that stuff done in the morning and then afternoons are a little less focus driven, but yeah, I mean, you know, he comes in to this room and he's got his train set and his uh, little soccer goal here and, uh, or football goal. And yeah, he plays from time to time, but you know, once there's a call then everybody out, so to speak. Yeah. So, so I like that though. So that's the morning and then the afternoon is looser. So then come the evening, do you go back to work? Not usually. I mean, you know, I've learned over the years, like once four o'clock hits in the afternoon, I'm like pretty much done. Unless there's like some pressing client thing or a launch or, you know, something that's already planned. For the most part, once dinner time rolls around, I'm not really opening up the laptop. Yeah. Well, good for you. Does that mean saying no to some stuff like managing your workload that way? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've learned to say no more than yes. Whereas before it was probably the other way around. And, you know, I've even said this on my podcast a lot is that if you want that freedom and flexibility, and this is what I've learned is, is that you really have to be selective around the things that are important to you and maybe not so important. And just because it could be a yes, maybe it could be a yes tomorrow morning instead of, you know, today evening. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm saying no a lot and that's, you know, it's because it's not necessarily important at that time. Yeah. You've mentioned your podcast a couple of times. So when did that start and what have they aimed at? Yeah. So I have two podcasts. One is called Live in the Feast and that's a podcast for freelancers who are looking to essentially specialize and build a recurring based business. Most of my business is based off of recurring based services. And, you know, I figured a lot of people were asking me a lot about how I've shaped my business. And it got to a point I said, okay, well, I could just share this to a greater audience. And I love podcasting. Podcasting for me is fun. I had a podcast way early on when I started breaking into the WordPress space. At that time, it was just a bunch of us developers talking geek speak, but my name got spread around because 
I started meeting people on the podcast and things like that as an indirect you know, result of that. I was like, hey, that, that's interesting. I never thought about that. But Live in the Feast, each season has a theme. And then each episode is a deep dive into that, like a specific topic. And that's that one. Ask Rez is a daily show, a weekday show, where I answer one question. So it's a short five to seven minute show. Um, it's just a question that I've been asked in and around the community. And I just answer it. It's less produced because it's every day and it's just quick. So it's, you know, for me, it's a fun, fun podcast to mess around with. Yeah. So they're, they're obviously aimed at freelancers and yet freelancers aren't your clients. But did that like pull some sort of conflict in you as to how, for example, your website or your social media or whatever should be? Yeah. Well, because people were asking me a lot of different questions around how I built my business and the real context of that was, was they knew they were like, how do you charge what you charge monthly? And how have you built a freelance business in New York City for so long? Right. Because if you look at the two questions, it kind of correlates, right? The high cost of living in New York City, I have to charge higher prices. But that's not even the case. It's just the value that I put on the service or the, the value of the solution that I provide to my clients. And I started making the podcast and then it turned into coaching, helping and mentoring other freelancers and trying to build their businesses. And I've always wanted a community to help other freelancers that I wish I had or been a part of when I first started out so that maybe I didn't fall down or just to be able to get over some hurdles or you know, ask ideas like, hey, I'm presented with this client situation. How would you handle this? Right. So I always wanted that sort of community. And that was something that I had wanted, you know, probably since about 2012, I was looking for that. And the podcast kind of evolved into what is called Feast, which is that community where I, it's a Slack community, but it's also a bunch of videos and swipe files and templates and things like that that basically help other people. Like I'm, I'm a big believer in a rising tide raises all boats. Most people are developers in there. A lot of people do are working in the same space as me, and I never look at them as competition. It's colleagues, right? We're bettering the the industry of freelance. You know, if somebody says, "Oh, you you want this particular service?" Oh, there's this developer. He's called Jason Resnick. Check check him out. Res.com. Right, go take a look. But if I were to go to your site, it's very much aimed at what you just described, your freelance audience, uh, your feast community and so on. And it wouldn't be until I scroll and scroll and, and then I, I maybe click on services that I find the other things that you do. And I'm, I'm intrigued as to that sort of balance or whether you tried having two different things or what your clients, as in your web developing clients, find from it. Yeah. So that was something that I wrestled around with for years, to be honest with you. I didn't know what was right or wrong. And I did try two different things for a while. But when I really looked at who was coming to my website, it was 80% freelancers and only about 20% of people that would sign up for my development services. So that was one indication of where to swing the, the site to. The other was how I set up my sales process and word of mouth campaigns and those kind of things, 
people that would sign up for my services would get a link directly to something on my website. They wouldn't discover my website in general. They wouldn't come across my website and, you know, say, Hey, free consultation. Let's click on this link and, and, and have a conversation. That was rare, extremely rare. So I just said one day, I said, you know what, I'm just going to make the site this way. And this is who I want to help. And this is who's coming across my website through podcasts or blogs or, you know, in meetups and things like that. And so that's how I'm going to cater the website. The services clients, they're getting the links to the pages and the information that they need. I've had some clients or lead say, I went to your website and I don't see anything about web development services. Am I at the right place? But that's very, very far and few between, but they get over it. And my clients, to be honest with you, they sort of appreciate that they can see how my mind thinks, how I run business. Maybe it's why I'm not getting asked about the flaky freelancer as much because, hey, they're seeing exactly how I run my business. And so I'm essentially attracting clients to me, service clients to me that they're they're already well aware of how I work and how I do things. So those are the kind of people that I want to work with anyway. Yeah. So let me gradually unpick some of them. One that jumped out at me was when you said word of mouth campaign, which is different from I've ever heard before, because most people say, oh, yeah, it comes to be word of mouth. But the word campaign makes it sound like you have strategically gone out and done something to spread the word. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I it's not overly scientific, but it's keeping front of mind with past clients, past leads, even colleagues of mine to say, hey, you know, every quarter or every six months, you know, say, hey, just wanted to reach out, see how things are doing. And if there's anything I can ever do to, to let me know. And just to be able to be out there and about in those kind of campaigns, that usually sparks a bunch of different conversations that I can have. And some of them turn into clients because it's not that I get forgotten by somebody that I know, but at the same time, it's like I'm speaking directly to like colleagues and, and networking type folks, but it's, you know, they're in their own business and they're going to get leads across their desk that may not be a fit for them, but could be a fit for me. So if they get an email and say, oh yeah, Jason sent me an email the other day. I forgot about that. You know what? Send to him this lead because he'd be a better fit for it. And those kind of just nudge campaigns, those word of mouth campaigns, they do wonders. And it's such a simple process to do. It's just, you have to do it. Yeah. So with that word campaign, is it something that you're monitoring or is it simply that's like your mindset? That's what you're thinking. I do monitor it. I mean, and I monitor it in a way where it's, you know, when was the last time I reached out to them? Did they send me anything? So it's, it's not something by which it's like a cold outreach campaign where I'm looking at open rates and click rates and such, because these are people that I know, and I will often tailor those emails, but it's a process in my business that I say, okay, you know, it's now November 1. Let me go into pipe drive. Let me see who I haven't reached out to in three to six months from a specific group. Another thing was the concept of value-based pricing, which is, uh, I don't think you use that phrase exactly, but was that something that you gradually came to 
when you first, you know, can you turn our menu into a website? You might go, okay, that'll cost this. And it feels like that's an hour of my time. It's five hours of my time, and this is how much it costs. It's quite a big shift to go towards, well, actually, I know what this change could bring because of the amount of checkouts you'll get in your store. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was it was definitely an evolution of the business. I was hourly for a very, very long time. But once I really started to specialize my business, that's when I was able to essentially get a proven track record of certain results. So once I knew what that proven track record of results were, it's easy to say, okay, if I can get you an X number of, let's say, revenue or customers through your store on a monthly basis, that is you know, a certain percentage above what you got now, does this monthly price seem like a no-brainer to you? And that's when the realization to me was, even if it's an hour's worth of work or time, but it turns into you know, $50,000 more for the client a month, then you know they could pay me ten thousand dollars. Of course, any business would do that, right? So, I mean, obviously, that's a very extreme thing, but that's really what it comes down to: is I try to figure out exactly what is important to the client, and it's either usually more revenue or it's more time, right? Which usually equates to more profits. And by more time, I mean something that I did that saved them time, usually a manual process, or it's a new revenue stream. So whether that's a site that currently has, you know, products on a one-off basis, but maybe they want to build in a subscription model into their business. And I try to figure out what that lead falls into those three buckets. Once I can do that, then it's a game changer conversation. The table's basically turned because now I can really figure out how important it is because I will ask that question. It'll come down to the point where Okay, so if I'm looking at your numbers, I could see that you have the potential for this, you have the likelihood of this, does this make sense for you? And if not, then okay, then I'm not sure what else we could do, what, what else we're talking about here. Yeah, I like the fact that you cut your economics class, but you soon, you soon <laughs> caught up. That is true, yes. Do you remember, though, that feeling when you were first thinking, right, no, I'm going to charge this, I'm going to save this figure to them, and like what that felt like when you don't know what they're going to do on the other end? Yeah, it was quite scary and unnerving, to be honest with you. But I did it with good clients already. So in other words, when I transitioned the model, I pitched it to certain clients of mine first that I thought would actually say yes. And it was really just a matter of having the conversation. So I increased the likelihood of reducing that the amount of no's initially just to get that momentum going. And then once that momentum going, my confidence increased in how I was essentially telling them, you know, what was going to happen. And from there, the rest is history, so to speak. You know, we've well, we've heard about your work-life balance and the fact that it sounds pretty sorted. Does that mean that you ever have bought on other people to help you, or you're simply that Sunday morning planning session is absolutely nailed it? I've gone down the road hiring a contractor here and there when you know maybe I get in a bind, so to speak. But you know, it's just me, and I tell all my clients that. I've had clients say that they want to work with somebody that's an individual versus an agency, which 
to me is interesting. I've had the other side too. I've had, I've lost leads because they've wanted the agency and not just the one person. So that I understand more, but yeah, I mean, it's anytime I've gone down the road of, of bringing a contractor on, it very much felt like what I left in the corporate world. Cause I was essentially a manager. Like I was a senior developer, which did about 10% development work and 90% managing projects and people and things like that. And which is all right. It's just, not what I really want to do. Yeah. And I noticed as well that you, so you offer packages. Was that something that you narrowed down? How, how do you choose which ones to put on your site? Yeah. I mean, I basically wanted two options to offer people. And the only difference between the two is really just the level of communication. So this wasn't something that I could take credit of thinking about, but I asked my existing clients at the time before I had the packages I just sat down with them, you know, and I said, you know, can I have 10 minutes of your time? I just want to ask you a couple of questions. And uh, those questions were really about how could I be more awesome? Why do you like working with me? What is it about you that, you know, stays on month over month? And just from that feedback, people were saying, yes, it's great that you send me, you know, daily emails or things like that, or we have the the once-off calls every now and then, but it would be great if we had a weekly call. So I said, okay, I guess I could work a weekly call in there somehow. And is there real-time communication that we can have? That And I was like, okay, I could create a dedicated Slack channel and create time on my week to have a half-hour phone call conversation. If that's pe- what people are willing to pay for, then there's the package for that. But everything else is the same. I love that. And it's, it came from actually asking, <laughs> just, uh, it sounds so simple, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. I learned from much smarter people than me that you can only assume so much from your clients until you're at a point where you have to ask them what they want from you. And if they like you and all that, then chances are that they'll tell you exactly what they want. doesn't mean that they're going to get it, but if enough people are telling you something, then hey, maybe you could just package it up and sell it. Mm. And just to come back to your side projects, like, you know, the the podcast and the community and all of that, sounds almost like a job in itself. Oh, that's 100% a job in and of itself. I feel like sometimes I have two jobs. But it's funny that as much as I love the development side, I love the product side that much better. Getting off a phone call with a coaching client or seeing somebody in the Slack channel get a big win out of something, that that to me makes my day. I love I love seeing that because it's so important to me of, you know, my compass is my family, spending time and having that time freedom. That when that's realized in and around the community too, that's a home run for me. Yeah. You must be really good at staying focused and productive, it feels like. At times, yes. At times, no. <laughs> oh, good. No, that's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely. It definitely depends because you know, if we were to do this yesterday, I'd probably be pretty much a big brain of mush because TJ was up all night. So that makes all of us up all night. So sometimes it does go out the window. Yeah. Now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? All right. So the first is that I threw out the first pitch in a Mets game. So 
Mets is the local baseball, major league baseball team here. Second fact or fiction is that I drove 220 kilometers through the Mexican desert when the guy that I rented the dune buggy from said not to go more than 20. And the third fact or fiction is that I've dated three girls who had the same birthday as their brother. (laughs) (laughs) And none of them were twins. (laughs) Do you know what would be really weird is if in the case of that last fact, that was something that you specified that you wanted from a dating agency. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care if they're blonde or brunette, but I really want them to have the same birthday as a brother. Okay, the middle one. You drove across the Mexican desert, and what happened? We rented a dune buggy, and the guy that we rented the dune buggy from said not to go more than 20 kilometers on the dune buggy. Well, the the ruins were 220 kilometers away. (laughs) So we did it anyway. (laughs) Did did it not run out of fuel? No, it didn't, actually. Hmm. As well, I'm th- like, if he said don't go more than 20 kilometers, let- what was his face like when he finally made it back? Or did you not? <laughs> well, he made it back, obviously. But we didn't tell him that. Yeah, but the dune buggy might not have. Well, <laughs> well, <instead>. yeah. <laughs> okay. You pitched at a Mets game. So you, th- I, I don't know baseball, you threw the ball. Is that as an adult or as a kid? No, no. It, well, it was as the an, an adult. It was last year. It was, but it, it's the first ah. pitch of the Mets game. It's like a ceremonial thing. So you've probably got thousands and thousands of people staring at you. Mm-hmm. Was it a good pitch? Yeah, I hit it on a fly, and that—that's what they say you should do. You hit it on a fly. I've no idea what this means. <laughs> uh, okay. The, the, okay, here's the thing: the birthday one is so weird. <laughs> that I can't even begin to imagine where that would come from if it isn't true. Although it's so unlikely (laughs) that it almost can't be true. Unless, of course, you were, uh, you know, a frenetic data and got through all of New York, (laughs) which would increase your likelihood. So I don't know. Right. Pitch Mets game. I mean, that sounds totally believable. I don't see why not. June buggy. That sounds unbelievable as well, though, just because... If someone tells me to go 20K, I wouldn't then go 200 more than that. But you're saying kilometers, which also confuses me because I would have thought you all talked in miles and things. Yeah, but in Mexico, they don't. Oh, that's a good bit of knowledge. Okay, (laughs) I'm saying the dune buggy is the lie. Nope. (sighs) The the first pitch in the Met game. Wow, though, that does mean the dating was true. Yes, and it was a weird, it's, it's really weird. It is, it's very odd. And obviously I didn't plan that. It was just something that <laughs> over the course of my entire dating, you know, lifetime, my wife's one of them. So my brother-in-law has, and my wife have the same birthday. Excellent. Well, well done. You totally got me. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Learn to trust your gut. That's something that even though, like, even if you're scratching and clawing and trying to, you know, make ends meet, most times your gut is going to tell you right or wrong about a, any certain situation, whether it's a, a lead that's maybe become a client or you're working with someone who maybe shouldn't be a client. Those kind of scenarios to learn to trust your gut. For me, I've not listened to it and paid dearly in the end. 
Jason, thank you so much. Uh, go to beingfreelance.com. Check out the links through to what Jason is up to. Check out his podcast, so Live in the Feast and Ask Res. Uh, and there will be links to find him on social. So please do reach out to Jason there as well. But thank you so much. And, well, what a what a past 20 years that's been. Look forward to finding out what happens next. And actually, I never asked you this, but like you said, oh, I've reached my goal. This was two years ago. Did you then figure out what your next one was going to be? Yes. And that's to help as many other freelancers realize their goal. Nice. Jason, thank you so much. And all the best being freelance. Thanks. Thanks.